one word that is consistent or is thematic for First and Second Peter, it's the word steadfast. And so we're, we're looking at how to be, as a Christian people, how to hold and stand firm when we face trial, when we face troubles, when we face fierce temptation. Peter was writing to a church in Rome. Um, Nero was the emperor. They had had the great fire that they believed that Nero himself set, and then after three days of practically destroying all of Rome, he blamed the Christians as a scapegoat. And the Christians had been suspect of many things. They had been, uh, because they didn't worship in a building, they didn't have a structure, they didn't have clearly identified priests, they didn't have clearly identified sacrifices or cultic practices, because they seemed to huddle in homes, because they were so friendly to one another and yet not participating in either the vices or the practices of Rome, they were looked at with suspicion, not really understood. Therefore, they were made the scapegoat for many things. Peter is writing to them and saying, in the face of fierce temptation, and in the face of the trial, the persecution, or the separation that you face in a culture around you, here is encouragement as to how to be steadfast. And in this section this morning, we're going to see his encouragement to stay and to be a part of the vibrant community of the worshiping church of fellow Christians to be a living stone in the wall and not a rolling stone or a member of the hole-in-the-wall gang that you're just isolated and a maverick from community. With that said, I'm going to invite you once again to stand for the reading of Scripture. All right, I'm beginning with verse 1 out of chapter 2, 1 Peter. So... Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. When I entered the ministry, the first church that I served in was called Frank Presbyterian Church in a small crossroads of the mountains of North Carolina. And it was unique in that it was a very small church, but it was made out of rocks, stones, that had been pulled from the river just behind the church. And many of the members who pulled those rocks, those stones out of the river, were still alive. Now, they were younger during the day that the church was built with those stones uh, being put together one on top of another, but they could still tell stories about family members that, that would get into the river and these rocks that were just tumbling along and were all over the place in no particular order of how they would take them out and then they would bring them and they would dress them and then they would put them one on top of another in alignment and they built a church. This morning, Peter uses a number of metaphors to describe the community, the Christian community, and what the church looks like and its blessings there in Rome. And if you look, a focus verse would be verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. This church, Frank, they did something uh, that was a lot of fun. They had all the, because it was an aging church and and and. They had a number of uh, members that were elderly. They wanted to remember them with a quilt. And so they had uh, the, the patriarchs and the leaders, the matriarchs, the older members of the church to put a hand on a quilt square that they would draw the hand image out. And then later they made a huge quilt and they hung it up in the church. And you didn't need a name to identify because these were, they made a, these were furniture makers. And so it's like the missing digits. You could identify certain family members. And one of the family members, Guy, and I think he was missing his left index finger. Guy Watson, his father was the architect and the one that had the biggest burden to build this church. And when I first came to that church, I learned that Guy, who made furniture, that at one time was a tremendous alcoholic. He was known as basically that little section, that community, as the town drunk. But nobody at church saw Guy that way. There was also Wilburn, another one of our leaders. And in the community... 
I would have passed on to me, Pastor, you need to know that that character, Wilburn, man, during his day, he was a tremendous womanizer. I mean, he and his wife went round and round for many a year because of his womanizing. But nobody in the church said that. The church looked to one another as a part of them, as a, such an intimate member of their family. And now through the power of the gospel, they saw them as acceptable in God's eyes and therefore acceptable to them. So that when they looked at that quilt, they didn't see the, the hall of mutants. And when they looked at them, they didn't see their, their past transgressions and label them and identify them by they, their sin. They looked at them and they said, you're like a living, walking stone in the wall of this church. And that could be the visual that I give you this morning. To imagine that God steps in to the rubble of your life. The scriptures tell us that in verse 9, that he who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, that he was one that came into the rubble of our life. He came and he put us not in isolation. He didn't say, now be a solitary Christian. But he came and he put us with other Christians. He came and he made us a part of the fabric of not only his people, but his plan of his church. And I want you to see a couple of things this morning. I want you to see that we're called to be a living stone in a spiritual house. Secondly, I want you to see what we're called to do. The first is, who are we? What's our new identity? And then, what is it that we need to get after? What is it that we need to be doing? And then thirdly, where does the power come from to do that that we're called to do? How do we do it? Because being a part of a community, we're more apt to be less committed and have one foot out the door. We're more apt to be suspicious. I've been hurt by the church before, so I'm never going to make myself vulnerable to such intimacy and community again. Or distrustful. So where does the power, the encouragement to do so come from? We'll look at that in just a minute. But first, I want you to see that you're called to be a living stone. The William Barclay, on his commentary, writes this, the individual Christian finds his true place only when he is built into the edifice, that's a wall, as solitary religion is ruled out as an impossibility. Notice here that Peter says in verse 9 that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people. The word there for nation is the word that we get the word ethnic or ethnicity from. And what he is saying here is that the Christian has a new identity. He's no longer simply identified by his race or his color, his culture, 
here? That he is identified as a part of a new community, a new people. In other words, we, I am white, I'm Anglo, and I'm out of, a, I'm Southern, and so that is, no, that is part of my culture and heritage, but it's not my identity. My identity, as I've said often enough here at Two Rivers, is I'm in your family if you're a follower of Christ. And I have experienced intimacy with most of you that I don't have even with my physical brothers, my biological brothers. Because as Christians, God has taken us out of our former way of life and He's put us into community. And He says here, you're a new nation. And this nation doesn't have, this, this priesthood, they don't have a visible sanctuary. Every group, every other religion in Rome at that time and the world would have a structure, a church building. And they would have recognizable priests and they'd have a recognizable sacrifice. But not so Christians. Christians said that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has already been made and we're living out of that. And then Christians would say, we, all of us, are priests. Oh yeah, there's still specialists, there's still elders and deacons, and there's still ministers of the gospel. There's specialists, as you were, but we're all, as it were, generalists. We're all priesthood. And then the church building, well, it's us. We're a walking sanctuary. Now, before I leave this, let me, uh, let me hit two things. First of all, if you look at this attempt at a wall here, there are, they are all interconnected such that these blocks are supported by the ones below them and around them, and they support the ones above them. And there's integrity in that, that alignment of support one to another. Everyone is interconnected to the other. And that completes or it makes for a wall with integrity. Now, in the Jenga game, you start pulling pieces to see how many pieces you can pull before the wall collapses. And if we, if I as a living stone, do not find myself as a people, as a nation, as a chosen one of God, in community with the wall, then it lacks for support. It misses that. I used to, I used to preach sermons where I would indicate that people are not indispensable. Where if you don't do it, God will just raise somebody else to do it. I don't believe that anymore. I believe that your temperament, I believe that your gift set, I believe that the sufferings that you have faced, the joys that you have known, I believe that they are so unique and that they are a match for someone else in the wall. It says here in the scripture, verse 5, that you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. So, not only are you going to be 
built up in the wall, but your hand is uniquely designed to hold somebody else's hand. Your prayers are uniquely designed to support someone else. Your tears and your laughter is uniquely designed for someone else. Your walk with the Lord is uniquely designed as a match to support someone else. So if we isolate ourselves, if we become that solitary Christian, if we become the one that not going back to the old rubble heap, but I just have this independence. You know, I I like the church and I like people, but I'm really not going to commit. You know, I'm really not going to commit to community. I'm really not going to commit to be a part of the the work of the church. I'm not going to give my full time, my full talents, and I won't give my treasure. I won't tithe. Or if there is a call for financial support, you know, I'm just not that committed. Then it not only leaves a hole in our church at Two Rivers. We're not being built up as God would have us to be because that individual would say, I just haven't found my place in the wall. Or I'm like a rolling stone. I was there, but now I'm not there. Sometimes I'm there. It will leave a hole because God has so uniquely made you. But also, He made this wall to support you. He made this wall to support me. Since I've been here, I've gone through some of the greatest heartaches of my life, but I have not gone through them alone. I have come to the leadership with things that I have been ashamed of. I have come to the leadership and I have come to brothers and sisters of things here that I have been so anxious that I thought that they would destroy me. But I was in the wall. And it was through this that God was at work. Rosario Butterfield, in her new book, Openness Unhindered, writes this. Loyal fellowship of believers is not an add-on to good doctrine. Fellowship of believers is often the vein which the Savior's, Savior, Savior's blood pumps us whole and well. In other words, she's saying the community, being plugged in and being a part of this wall called the church is actually similar to a vein that this is where we are built up. This is where the Savior's blood pumps. He's doing it through brothers and sisters in the family. We're not a club that you would join or not join or a club where we simply have a few common interests but we screen our members. We're a family. We're a family. And we have a place in this family. We're one of the living stones. Are you plugged in? Are you plugged into a community group? Do you have friendships that you in this church and in this community that you can make yourself vulnerable to? That you can weep? You can share not only your fears, but you can share your dreams. Do you have a fellowship that will actually help align you such that when you're placed in the wall, you're in such community that if you're out of alignment, then they come along with encouragement, support, to face that temptation, to face that addiction, to face that 
that thing that is making you so anxious? Do you have that? Are you, are you in that community? Are you maintaining your stance that I am going to stay in community? Secondly, we're not only called to find a place in the wall and to be in this wall, we're told that we are also seen as holy priests offering spiritual sacrifices. Now here is where the, the metaphor gets twisted because it's as if God is building a wall and these are people stones. These are live human beings. And there, they're not just simply in the wall, but they're actually serving like priests. They're making sacrifices. We read in Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The sacrifice for our salvation, for the atonement and the forgiveness of our sins, is Jesus Christ. And that has been made already. And now he turns and he says, as priests, there is no atoning sacrifice that you have, but there's a sacrifice that you make out of glad worship to God. A holy, holy and it's acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he says, it's, it's an act of spiritual worship and it's an act of spiritual sacrifice. It's an act as a priest in this community when you serve one another, when you sacrifice for one another, when you love one another, all in glad service of God whom we adore. And so it can be asked, you know, well, what does our, what does our sacrifice look like? In Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus Christ says something rather remarkable. He says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is risen no one greater than John the Baptist. He is saying that the greatest man that has ever lived to date was John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus Christ is preaching about the kingdom of God having come now to earth. And that those that are becoming followers by placing their faith in Jesus Christ and who are following after him, he's saying, you now are greater than John the Baptist. Even the least saint at two rivers is greater than the greatest man that had ever lived to that date, John the Baptist. And so... One thing that John the Baptist did was it says in verse 9, uh, Peter says, you're called to be a people that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Your life, both by your words and your deeds, but most particularly your service of one another and your commitment to community and the community's commitment to you proclaims the excellency of God as our Father. Matthew 11, verses 16 and 17, Jesus would go on to say, but to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. What he was basically saying was, 
you know these things to be true. You hear the sound. You know the gospel. But you're not moving. I take this sermon as a fresh call to Phil Stogner's heart. Martin Lloyd-Jones said at one point to his people, he said, I fear that we need to listen less to our heart and talk more to our soul. And so I ask myself, what does my private time, my downtime look like? Where do I include people in my joys? Where, are, where am I actually making a sacrifice for friendship? In that I'm not simply around people that I like, but I'm around people that maybe I, I don't have a lot in common with. I don't really like them. Where is God trying to connect me to other people? And then also, who is connected to me to support me? Again, sacrificing and other sacrificing and that being observed by the watching world and it proclaims again the very excellency of God for us. Now, how do I, how do, I do this? How do I stay in the wall? How do I even sacrifice to serve other people? How do I humbly encourage other people's sacrifices as they serve and they love and they pray and they hold me account? How do I do that? Well, Peter tells us that we've got to stay focused on Christ who is the cornerstone. Now, in Psalm 144, verse 12, this came up during my uh, personal devotions this last week. And I thought that it was very interesting. And I've been thinking about it in the course of the week. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of the palace. So he's saying, may our daughters basically be not simply statuesque, but strong and beautiful and cut a visible cornerstone that would go at the corner of a house to align the walls. And it would be at ground level. And it would be visible. And he's saying, may our daughters be like that visible, beautiful stone that's holding the palace together. May they be cut for your building. May they be cut for God's sanctuary. And he's saying, here, Peter comes and he says, we have a cornerstone. We have come to see Jesus Christ as the cornerstone that gives our life alignment. And He is precious. He's a beautiful cornerstone. And we align our lives accordingly to this gospel that we're His chosen people. We're His nation. And we're a nation that serves Him, a priest. Have you identified what props you up? What is it that, what is it that makes you anxious? What is it that makes you filled with fear or worry? What sets you off and makes you angry? What frustrates you? I would submit to you that 
we all have a cornerstone. We all have a foundation. And it may be very deep. And it's going to require some, some looking to find this cornerstone. But if that is shaky, if that that props you up is shaky, you'll most noticeably, you will most notice it by the things that make you anxious. What is it that is propping up your life? It could be career. It could be money. It could be friendships. It could be relationships with children or mate. It could be simply what props me up is I'm basically a very good person. But what props up this church is Jesus Christ. And seeing Jesus Christ as that stone that was rejected on our behalf such that we would never be rejected. And they don't look at Jesus Christ as simply a practical atonement for their sin. They see it as a precious remedy. Precious being beautiful. And so their actions of aligning their lives now, of conforming their lives to be visual stones in a community such as Rome, their motivation is one that is more like a people who are in love than people who are simply doing their duty. And the world watches that. Martin Lloyd-Jones' father said, when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though it may hate her or hate it at first. Peter's admonition is to not be a people as we formerly were who are filled with malice and in our gatherings we would deceive one another or we would be hypocritical saying I'm a part of the wall when we're really not committed. His admonition is not to come and get your stuff together. His admonition in verses 2 and 3 is to taste again the Lord. And to taste like a suckling babe at the mother's breast. To say, Christ and the good news of His steadfast love for you is such that you're encouraged to taste it again and again and again. And as I'm mindful of His great love for me, that he was rejected, that I would not be rejected. He becomes increasingly precious to me and he becomes the foundation, the cornerstone of our life. And then I look to you in communion and your relation to Christ and we begin to serve one another out of love. Let's pray. Father, would you grant to us from this table another taste of your goodness? that this cornerstone of Jesus Christ caused many people to stumble. But this cornerstone, Father, has become precious to us. It has not caused us to stumble, but it is what we're building our lives on. You have picked us up out of the rubble. You've placed us on Jesus Christ, and you will keep us there. You are making us and building us 
up into a people of your very own possession. That is precious to you and it has become precious to us. Give us a taste again of that in the bread and the wine. Let us taste your love for us. Let us taste your possession of us and worship you in response. Let us taste as we celebrate this table in community with one another. Taste again the goodness of this community you've put us in. And then let us get strength from these elements, this bitter bread and wine that we might serve. That I might put myself aside and serve the stones that I'm aligned with. Those beneath, round, that I'm connected above, that I might serve them from my place in this wall of church, your temple, where you abide and you dwell. So feed us from this table as we come again to Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.